and welcome to the week three edition of the Megapod, the Mega Breakdown, the Mega Everything Football in the NFL. It is Matt Brown. It is Adam Candy. It is Steven Andrus. If you want to follow us on the Twitter machine, and you should, at Matt Brown M2, at Steven Andrus1, and at Adam Candy 2 es know why first couple of weeks in the NFL kind of wacky things started off decently for me last week and then went off of the cliff and hopefully we can right the ship here in week three and turn a nice nice profit I'm looking at the bets that we have in pocket fellas we are interestingly in agreement on a couple of these things so we're either all going to make some money or we're all going to lose some money this week that is for sure guys if you are watching us over on the youtubes please go ahead hit that subscribe button everything we do absolutely free at the lines so that is something that is going to continue all season long all through the nba all through major league baseball all through march madness everything like that so be sure and get all that content absolutely free we also run some free contests where you can win some real money some swag some gift cards things like that you'll find that in our discord so uh that link is down in the description as well all right so let's uh let's move here into week number three and i'll just start kind of at the top of the board kansas city chiefs at the indianapolis colts as we sit right now this has come off of what was as high as seven So I was kind of hoping for maybe a seven and a hook. And then at that point, I would have no choice but to play the Colts. But that's not going to be the case. Five and a half. There is one six out there at points bet right now. Adam, I'll start with you. We've seen the Chiefs start two and oh. That being said, not necessarily the most efficient offense so far. We saw a game in which they kind of sputtered really badly for the first half and were able to rally against the Chargers. So We've seen this come off the seven all the way down to five and a half, a total of 50 and a half. The Colts have started obviously very, very poorly. They have been after getting shut out last week. That means they've scored 20 total points in two games, 17 of which came in the fourth quarter against the Texans where they were trying to rally to get that thing to overtime. So 17 of their 20 points in the eight quarters they've played or came, came kind of in garbage time when they were in rally mode here. So What do you see in Chiefs and Colts? And do you think that this move of people backing the Colts as they come back home is a little bit of an overreaction to people's priors heading into the season? That really is the question, Matt, isn't it? Are we going to be able to rely on what we thought about the Indianapolis Colts before the season? And for me, that actually is a weird 180 situation because I thought very little of the Colts coming into Mm -hmm. this year. I was very clear with you guys on the fact that I had Indianapolis rated significantly lower than a lot of the market. And yet, when I look at the numbers that I have right now, if I were to trust them blindly, I probably would be taking one of those remaining sixes on the board with the Indianapolis Colts. That being said, there are two teams, and we're going to get into obviously the other one later, that for me, I have a very hard time relying on even what I think is a generous evaluation that I still have. And Indianapolis is one of them because the one thing we thought we could rely upon with the Colts, that is the one thing that I know all of us rely on a lot is the offensive line. Mm -hmm. And and it hasn't been there for Indy this year. And maybe we should have seen more of it coming with the retirement of Costanzo with Glowinski going to the giants. Maybe we should have seen more of that. Maybe we should have thought, more about whether Matt Ryan was the problem with the Falcons or whether the Falcons were the problem with Matt Ryan. Spoiler, it was both. Uh, And now we look at the Colts in this situation and you have a Kansas City team coming in that 
as you mentioned, Matt, I think that the the uh, record looks a lot better than what the results have actually given you. I think the Chargers probably outplayed them pretty well on that Thursday night football game. But of course, I just said Thursday night football game. So Kansas City also comes in with a rest mm-hmm. advantage. I think that you can probably assign a half point or so for that as well. And I'll give you a stat. And uh, again, these stats are generally worth about as much as the Internet mm-hmm. that they're printed on. But. Kansas City's Patrick Mahomes has never lost in a dome. There you go. There's at least there. There is that. I mean, listen, it makes some sense, right? Optimal playing conditions. So uh, with a guy like him. So it does look like the Colts are going to have Michael Pittman and Shaq Leonard back. So that is an upgrade for this squad. If you're looking to play the Colts side of things, Matt Ryan through the first two games has been sacked seven times. He has thrown four picks. He is pro football focuses 27th graded quarterback through the first two weeks. Steven, that being said, we know that Patrick Mahomes got away with a lot last week. I mean, Patrick Mahomes threw several turnover worthy plays that did not turn into actual turnovers and was got the, you know, got the fortunate luck side of things here was running pure and, you know, again, the the play from the Colt, from the Chiefs isn't necessarily as good as what the record shows so far. I was hoping for a seven and a half. It's not going to get there. So I think this is just a pass for me. I was going to play the Colts at over a touchdown. I was hoping the Chiefs were going to get a little bit more steam. But uh, I think people are probably about right in this. Put it in that dead zone number. Kind of see what we have in this Colts team now that they come back home. Of course, they started with two roadies on the year. So they are coming back home. And then find out if this Chiefs team is as good as maybe we think that they are. Yeah, I think that the market is telling us that moving from three, three and a half on the look ahead to seven was an overreaction. And I agree with that. But at the same time, man, it's not just that the Colts struggled week one. I I throw out last week they were they didn't have their top two receivers. They couldn't pass the ball, whatever. But it's not just that they didn't play well week one. It's that I think the Chiefs are better than what we expected them to be early in the season here, too. And most notably for me, it's on the defensive side of the ball where the defenses, these aren't going to blow you away, but 16th and drop back EPA and success rate. But they faced Kyler Murray and Justin Herbert, and they were 25th and 30th in those categories a year ago. So the passing defense to me looks pretty strong to start the year against a passing offense that at best has Michael Pittman, who is banged up and a bunch of nothing. We saw that last week. I don't care if Alec Pierce is back or not. Mm. He's He's a completely unproven, non-first-round wide receiver. Uh, So I think that's very notable for the Chiefs to combine that with what we already know as one of the two elite offenses in the league. So I don't have a strong opinion on where the number is now. It's kind of floating in that five-and-a-half area. Full disclosure, I did tease the Chiefs down to basically a pick earlier in the Mm -hmm. week. Uh, The market disagreed with me on that. They moved this down from seven to the dead zone, but – um, I, I'm not sure that just saying the chiefs had a bad week and they'll come back stronger is giving enough credit to the other side here as well. And I think the chiefs are one of the two best teams in the NFL. And the other thing too is, yeah, Pittman is, looks like he's going to be back, but he's still limited. Yannick Ngakwe, one of their top pass rushers went from limited to a DNP midweek. That's never a good sign. Um, so I think you'll get the Colts best effort. 
I'm just not as convinced as our lead writer, Eli Hershkovich, who is is all in on the Colts this week. He thinks he sprinkled some money line on the Colts. So if you want to listen to that, you can go back to the Beat to the Closing Line podcast. Uh, but I was only comfortable doing a teaser here on the Col- on, on the Chiefs to just win this game. The only thing I'll, I'll point out about this game, and if, if this thing, you know, again, key-ish number of 51 from a total standpoint, it's sitting at 50 and a half right now. If this were to get to 51 or higher, I would come in on the under and and just kind of play with what we know so far, which is the Colts have looked really bad on offense. It is no guarantee that Pittman is going to be 100% in this game at all. Matt Ryan might be washed. And third, we know for sure how teams have chosen to play the Chiefs. I can only imagine the Colts are also going to choose to play the Chiefs that way, which is sit back in that two deep zone, Make them dink and dunk the ball down the field. And with that, you get a super high completion percentage if you're Patrick Mahomes. But the super high completion percentage, Adam, is basically an extension of the run game, which keeps the clock running, keeps the clock running, keeps the clock running. So, again, if this thing gets over the 51, I think I'm going to play the under. Well, that's the one thing I would say. And and I'll add in that I also have uh, one of my teasers tied to Kansas City to pick them. Uh Remember who the defensive coordinator is for the Indianapolis Colts. It's Gus Bradley, who with the Raiders last year decided to play cover three twice against the Chiefs and reaped the uh, whirlwind that came along with that. And when they talked to Gus Bradley about it this week, he basically said, yeah, we did a good job of hold, uh, holding them in check. Uh, you didn't hold them in check. You lost two games and you lost them both convincingly. So, you know, will he continue to approach the Kansas City Chiefs the way that he has in the past? That's definitely one thing to watch. Maybe makes this game an interesting live bet. Baltimore Ravens at the New England Patriots. As we sit right now, there is one three. If you are looking to take the Patriots, it has come off the three. Actually, two threes out there. If you're looking to play the Patriots, there are the rest of the market sitting at two and a half, a total of 44 to 44 and a half injuries of note that we'll be paying attention to here on a Friday. Marlon Humphrey, Marcus Peters, Devin Duvernay, Ronnie Staley were all limited on Thursday for the Ravens. These were actual upgrades from what the practice report showed on Wednesday for the Patriots. Kyle Duggar, Jacoby Myers, DNPs on Wednesday and Thursday for this Patriot squad, Jalen Mills was added to the injury report as a limited participant on Thursday as well. Never good to get added on a Thursday and Jalen Mills limited there. Patriots offense, 5.4 yards per play on the season, 19th in EPA per play on the season. And if you if you remove Jacoby Myers, again, DNP's back-to-back days, this offense is really, really pedestrian when it comes down to it, Stephen, this is the family pot game tonight. This is the or on on Sunday. This is the family <laughs> game. We are all on the Ravens. I'm on Ravens two and a half. You guys took the three. Um, this to me is just a complete and utter overreaction to the Ravens letting that lead get away. Here is what we know now. Whether you want to agree with it or not, this Miami offense is going to put up points. This Miami offense is going to move the ball. The Ravens letting Tua Tagovailoa and his two stud receivers go up and down the field is nothing like what is going to happen from the New England Patriots side of things. The New England Patriots don't got them dudes. I've said this all of the, like, I keep saying it, but the Patriots ain't got them dudes. It ain't, that's not going to happen here. That doesn't matter if these corners are injured or not playing at hundred percent because you ain't got a Jalen Waddle on this team. You ain't got a Tyree kill 
on this team. And especially if Jacoby Myers doesn't play, you basically ain't got nobody on this team. And so I am far less concerned with a repeat performance out of this defense from the Ravens that we saw last week against Miami. I think this is a smash spot for this Ravens team. The offense moved the ball in Miami, which by the way, if you remember guys, the one thing, one hesitancy I had in that game, even though I did have Miami three and a half, I was trying to say that, Hey, it's because of the defense that I really liked Miami last week against the Ravens. And so, uh, Ravens offense moved. Everything was fine. Devin Duvernay back out there. So you have a secondary receiving option. Uh, St- Steven loved this play this week. Probably my favorite bet in the account. Let me first by start by pointing out the all time bad take I had last week about a dude, maybe the dude in the league, Lamar Jackson, this brutal take last week, <laughs> Lamar only had six rush attempts. So maybe a little narrative here that, you know, could be false. I, I fully admit, but he doesn't have that contract yet. Only ran it six times week one. I think it's at least something to look for in future weeks here. I mean, was that a clown take or was that a clown take, man? I'm, that was I, that was brutal. I come hat in hand. I was extremely lucky to have the Miami Dolphins cover last week. And I'm coming right back on the Baltimore Ravens and Lamar Jackson this week, man. I bet them at minus three. I was like, what am I not seeing here when this moved to two and a half midweek? I thought it was an overreaction to the injury report. You're giving me a team that posted almost nine yards per play last week against a defense that they historically recently have had trouble against, against a defense that the Pats only posted five yards per play against the Miami Dolphins. And Lamar's been awesome to start the year. He's been top five in drop back EPA and success rate. The Patriots defense is only 26th in pass rush win rate, despite playing poor offensive lines in Miami and Pittsburgh. And, you know, you mentioned the injury report on D. Those guys came back to practice Thursday. Mm -hmm. It looks like their secondary is going to be pretty good against – a, a wide receiving core, as you mentioned, Matt, that is not Tyree Kill and not Jalen Waddle. So I don't have m- many concerns there this week that they're going to get exposed like they were last week. And New England is struggling to be balanced. They are 26th in run block win rate. The Ravens are fifth in run stop win rate. Might be skewed by some some bad offensive lines, but still stronger than what the Patriots have done offensively running the ball. So I, I think it's a total mismatch here. I really do. I'm, I'm taking my stand. Yes, it's Bill Belichick. You can throw out the trend that the Ravens and Lamar and Jim Harbaugh have not won in New England. This is not Tom Brady's New England Patriots anymore. And I have all the confidence in the world that Baltimore, after being the first team in a couple of years to post that high of a yards per play and lose, is a very good offense that's going to come out strong and motivate it to win after they blew a game last week. Adam, I'm looking, I mean, look, better offensive line, better defensive line, better quarterback, better playmakers, better backfield. I mean, there's basically outside of the fact that the game is taking place in New England, dare I even say better sidelines as well. Listen, I'm not saying Bill Belichick's 157 years old at this point. I think Harbaugh is at least on par with Bill Belichick. And if you want to talk about the coaching staffs as a whole, the Ravens are definitely better than what we've seen from the Patriots so far. Matt Patricia trying to call plays for this uh, Patriots team has worked out splendidly so far. So I I can't find any advantage really for this new England team, other than the fact that this is taking place in their home stadium. And as we know, home field advantage is worth less than a point these days, basically. And so I think that this uh, Raven squad is certainly every bit a point and a half better 
than this uh, New England Patriots team. So, I, again, like I said, I'll take the two and a half all day. Matt Patricia goes to prove my rule, Matt. And it's a hard and fast rule, not just for betting, but for life. Never trust anybody with two first names. You can't do it. It is a big step in the wrong direction with a red flag flying up above. That's why you can't trust Matt Patricia. And that is my hashtag evaluation of this game. Now, when we look at the Baltimore Ravens, just remind yourself, as you guys have mentioned, just remind yourself that the team everyone is salivating over this week, the Miami Dolphins, and we'll get there. They were up 21 points on this team in the fourth quarter. So if you think that much of Miami, if you're going to adjust your priors that much on Miami, then you have to also do it with Baltimore. You get to do one or the other. You don't get to take one team and go one direction, one team the other direction. You have to go with both in that spot. And the one thing that we heard about Lamar Jackson over and over and over again is that he can't throw the deep ball accurately. And the one thing that the Ravens offense has done well through two weeks is throw the deep ball accurately. Oh, by the way, Lamar broke a power run up the middle for a 75 plus yard touchdown last week. So what is it really that we're worried about with Baltimore? Is it that they're not running the ball the way that we've seen them do in the past? Okay, well, they're trying to do it with Kenyon Drake. So that's a big part of the problem. J.K. Dobbins has five consecutive days of practice coming in here. So you might finally get to see a guy who averaged six yards per carry while he was healthy for the Baltimore Ravens in the past. And on the other side, I think you guys nailed it already. I'll just add my voice to the chorus of the one thing you have to worry about with the Ravens with these injuries is that they can't cover anybody with Peters and Humphrey out and the New England Patriots are not going to be the team to take advantage of that. Even if Jacoby Myers, Nelson Aguilar at all are healthy, that's not what they do with Mac mm -hmm. Jones. They don't attack deep, especially to the edges with Mac Jones. They want to beat you in the middle of the field. And I don't think that's something that Baltimore is going to give them at all, especially if they're down their cornerbacks. Bet basketball, baseball, or hockey with a risk-free bet up to $600 at BetMGM. Sign up and use bonus code THELINES and you're on your way with the king of sportsbooks. Get the BetMGM app today and use promo code THELINES to make a risk-free bet up to $600. This is a new customer offer. Paid in free bets. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. 21 years or older to wager. Colorado, Indiana, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Nevada, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia only. Excludes Michigan disassociated persons. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem. Call one 800 522-4700 in Colorado, Nevada, and Virginia. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia. And 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa and Tennessee. Call or text the red line at 800-889-9789. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. Promotional offer not available in Nevada. Houston Texans at the Chicago Bears, the imagine betting this game game of the week. Uh, as we sit right now, I might. Bears are Bears are three point to actually you can find two and a half. So you can find three. So shop around depending on which side you want to play. Thirty nine and a half is your total. Justin Fields threw the ball. 11 times last week, despite the fact that they were down 24 to nothing at halftime. I mean, like they were down 24 to nothing and he threw the damn thing 11 times all game. I mean, if that tells you what's going on in the state of this offense and everything like that, listen, I got nothing on this game. I can't imagine putting a ticket in my account on this game, but guess what? 
Old Steven is back, baby. Bet the board, Steven is back, baby. Steven with a bet on this game. Steven, what the hell are you doing? What is going on in this world? How in the hell did you put a ticket in your account for this game? Matthew, did we not put Houston above Chicago <laughs> in the power rankings this week? I'm pretty sure that happened, right? Am I misremembering? Did no, we not put we, Houston we, above we, Chicago? We okay. And we got a plus three on the board here. So uh, <laughs> cool. Texans plus three at the most important key number when we're not even sure if they're actually worse than Chicago through two weeks against the Bears team that showed us if they get down, they're not even interested in competing potentially or trying to win. They just want to get through the season with a bunch of dead cat money and get their franchise quarterback healthy to actually have some weapons for next year. It's clear the Bears have no interest in competing this year. Meanwhile, the Texans are out here with one of the fastest pace offenses that are there. Uh, they finally get Damian Pierce going in the run game. They actually have receivers, unlike the Bears. Like Darnell Mooney was supposed to be their saving grace at receiver. He's done jack and you know what the first two weeks of the year. And I got Brandon Cooks and a, an athlete and Nico Collins on the other side. So, um, yeah, pretty easy handicap for me. I'm not <laughs> even sure that the Texans are uh, are actually worse than the Bears. And you're giving me three. And if it's plus two and a half when you're listening to this, pretty solid teaser leg up to eight and a half with a low total. Adam, I uh, again, I don't know what you think of this game. I guess the only thing you could point out if you did want to find a reason to back the Bears is Texans allow the Broncos to go for 150 rushing yards. And if they don't want to throw the ball with Justin Fields, well, at least you get a team that allows a whole bunch of running yards. And so you can maybe go with that two-headed monster of David Montgomery and Khalil Herbert and try and just do it on the ground and have your quarterback run as well. I mean, that's kind of all I'm looking for in this one. I don't want to watch this game. I don't want to bet this game. I, I think that this game should just be struck struck from my memory, basically. It should be struck from the NFL schedule, but <laughs> we have to make the rights holders and the season ticket holders happy and actually give them something to watch. Uh, I think we could focus in for a second here on Justin Fields, and I don't understand anything that's going on in Chicago because you trade up, you give up a first round pick to trade up for Justin Fields. And granted, I know it was the old regime, but they didn't exactly treat Justin Fields well last year. And the new regime has not come in and treated Justin Fields any better. They're not giving him the opportunity to make an evaluation on him. And that's the weird part to me here. If you go look by pro football focus grades at the five worst quarterbacks in the NFL this year, uh, you don't find a whole lot of surprises. Daniel Jones, Derek Carr, Baker Mayfield, Justin Fields, and Dak Prescott are your five lowest rated in the extremely small sample size of two games. But it's not really something where the Bears are showing us that Justin Fields could do more if we got the opportunity. So I'm not going to waste anybody else's time. I don't have a play on this. Uh, and Steven... Godspeed, man. You, you made us look bad once when you took the Texans and they got home and, and here you go again. I, I'm I will just sit back and I'll smile when this ticket cashes for you, buddy. And I'm just going to money win. line anybody. Texas I'm just going to. 
I'm just going to wish you <laughs> the absolute, the absolute best in this because Lord knows I can't get there. It is just something I'll middle of the pack defense when they had to play the Colts <laughs> and the Broncos first two weeks. Just shut up. Nobody wants to hear about this game. The lady Joss protests too it's much. Okay. <laughs> Stevens on the Texans played in a teaser leg. He says, and then we move on <laughs> Raiders at the Titans. This is sitting right now two, two and a half. There's a one and a half on the board actually in favor of the Raiders. So at least a little bit of money coming the Titans way over at FanDuel, it looks like. 45 and a half is your total here. Titans, left tackle Taylor Lewan. Man, this guy, I feel so bad for him. Out for the season for the Titans. Just cannot stay healthy at all in this league. And so uh, another big hit for the Titans. Adam, look, we there was at least a question, right, coming into this season as to would this finally be the year that Derrick Henry fell off a little bit? And I was more of the camp. Yes, I was super, super down on the Titans. And I wasn't necessarily saying it was because of ability for Derrick Henry, though I think there is at least some question as to whether he's been the same since that injury from last season. But you just can't be as effective if you can't move the ball at all. If the offensive line is one of the worst out there, you just can't move the ball. If your quarterback cannot connect with receivers. It's going to be really tough to move the ball on the ground. I think we've seen that play out for this Titans team here through the first couple of weeks of the season. But then on the flip side, our concern about the Raiders and the offensive line that we talked about heading into the season has also come to fruition here where the Raiders offensive line through the first two weeks of the season graded 31st in the league by pro football focus. So it's just one of those games I can't get in a, a bet in the account. I lean the Raiders pretty heavily because I do think, at least from a talent perspective, they're better than, than the Titans. But, hell, could Jeffrey Simmons end up with three, four sacks in this game and Derek Carr still running for his life or something? You know, maybe so. So just just too tough for me here. I'm interested in your perspective. Again, if I trust my numbers, I trust that – I see Tennessee as a short favorite in this game. And if I were to trust that enough, then I could get to the point of saying, all right, I'll put something on Tennessee. Frankly, if it gets out to a place where you could tease it with Tennessee at home, then I think you're probably in your best possible spot. Now, overall, I think you're worried about the wrong Derek in this game. You need to be worried about Derek Carr. Uh, we saw that. Derek Carr never had the kind of weapons after they traded Amari Cooper where anyone said, well, you know, he could be the problem. And you know what, y'all? He could be the problem. And it's not just the offensive line. We talked about how bad the offensive line was. A lot of that came to fruition last week. In week one against the Chargers, they held up enough for that team to have a chance to win the game until the final drive when Khalil Mack mm. got revenge on them and wrecked them. But right now, if you look at Derek Carr, six turnover-worthy plays, one big-time throw. Last week, they targeted Devontae Adams seven times. He caught two passes. One of those is a pick play at the goal line in which it wasn't even a real route. What's going on with this offense? What's going on with Josh McDaniels and this team overall? Uh, they don't look the part of an offense that can keep up in the AFC West in the slightest. And so I'm with you, Matt, that if you look at the talent, the only side that has any talent left is the Las Vegas Raiders. 
But the way the Raiders blew that game against Arizona last week makes this a stay away game for me overall, because, yes, I said I like Tennessee as a short favorite. But when the difference is essentially what is it? Raiders one versus Tennessee one, whatever, uh, the, you know, those points don't matter as much between the threes. I look at this game and say, I don't trust Tennessee's lack of dudes. I don't trust the Las Vegas coaching staff because they gave that game away. One of the drives they had in the fourth quarter, guys, they had a drive that was less than a minute long when they were up 16 points because they threw the ball three times mm. on a drive in the fourth quarter up 16 points. That's not Derek Carr. That's not the offensive line. That's Josh McDaniels. And so we heard a lot about Josh McDaniels being a different guy coming in from New England. And thus far, what we've seen is that Josh McDaniels is not going to be a whole lot better in Las Vegas. Stephen, the smallest of sample size, obviously, we're only two games in, but the Tennessee Titans pass blocking grade is dead last in the NFL. You do have in Vegas Chandler Jones and Max Crosby, so you should, in theory, have a massive advantage on the defensive line to the offensive line from the Tennessee Titans. That said, we just haven't seen that come to fruition through a couple of games yet with the Raiders, uh, Jones and Cross, we haven't really been able to get off. Now, this could be a get-right situation for them for sure, going up against a team that seems like they can't block. And also, oh, by the way, Taylor Lewan gone for the season now for the Titans. So uh, maybe that's a reason if you do want to back the Raiders here uh, to kind of get in on them in a, you know, get ahead of the curve here where this defensive line does find a way to get right and creates all kinds of havoc against Ryan Tannehill. But again, just... Not enough for me, maybe a contest play for me, like not a, a put in the account type deal, but maybe it's a contest play for me, but that's about it. Yeah, we're seeing everything from from Raiders minus one and a half to minus two and a half as we record on Friday morning. If if this somehow gets the Raiders minus three, like that is the stupidest bet, like do not bet the Raiders minus three. But I, full disclosure, I did bet them minus one earlier this week, basically saying this game's a pick them. And I just I. This is I agree with everything Adam said about the Raiders. They look disorganized. They were already one of the luckiest teams in the NFL last year to win as many games as they did with turnover luck and uh, overtime wins, et cetera. But the Tennessee's running out of bodies here. I mean, they lost Harold Landry and Deshaun Hand, one, two of their best pass rushers in the front seven. This secondary has now allowed nine yards per attempt to Daniel Jones and 8.3 yards per attempt to Josh Allen. And now they have to face Devontae Adams and Darren Waller. So I don't think they're going to be able to, to run the ball very well, but it, it is a pass funnel defense here because the Raiders offensive line is not good as we've documented in Tennessee through two weeks is the number one run stop win rate. That's fine with me. Go ahead and throw on the secondary, like be more heavy than usual throwing on this Tennessee secondary. And I'm perfectly okay with that. And then on the other side of the ball, Tennessee's offense just is not explosive. They're 31st in EPA through two weeks. They're bottom 10 in rush EPA and success rate. The offensive line has taken a big step back. So yeah, we can we can kind of debate back and forth who should be a small favorite here, but it's it's basically a pick 'em. Let's be honest, and I, this is just another opportunity for me to put money on my preseason opinion that Tennessee is going in the wrong direction and a, not a very good roster at this point. Uh, so I'm going to stick to my guns on that. Yeah, I also think that there's a non-zero chance that if this thing does get ugly by halftime 
in favor of the Raiders that we see Malik Willis in this game. Like, I, I think that there's going to, the drum beat is going to get bigger and bigger. It's going to be a, it's going to be a bad season for the Titans as it is anyway. I think we all kind of agree with that. So it would be only Tannehill unders for me if I was playing any sort of prop market or anything like that. Cause again, I think there's non-zero chance that he doesn't complete this game for them. Buffalo Bills at the Miami Dolphins, a game everybody is going to be paying attention to this week. This is a Buffalo Bills team through the first two weeks. It's looked like absolute world beaters. The Dolphins come back from a gigantic deficit. It looks as if we finally have figured out whether they're going to have an offense or not. The answer is yes, at least so far through a very small sample size here. That said, this is pretty interesting, Adam. Um, the injury situation for the Bills as we sit with them as five, five and a half point favorites, a total of 52 and a half, Micah Hyde, Jordan Poyer, Dane Jackson, all starters, all on the defensive side of the ball, all DNPs on Thursday for this Bills team. Gabe Davis, Dawson Knox, starting center Mitch Morse, starting defensive tackle Ed Oliver, and his backup, Tim Settle, were all limited on Thursday as well. There might not be a more important injury report come out on Friday than the Buffalo Bills because this can certainly alter how you view this game as a whole because we are talking a whole bunch of starters that I just rattled off right there that were either DNPs or limited for the first couple of days of practice this week. All right. I will admit that I was too low on Miami coming into the year. And Steven said before we uh, went into the Miami evaluation last week that maybe we need to adjust our priors. So I have adjusted my priors on Miami. And yet, it is time to pump the damn brakes on the Miami Dolphins. My God, are we going overboard as a national media populace on what's going on with Miami? Look, I get it. McDaniel has come in here and modernize the offense. And we also look and see that Tyreek Hill is an absolute game changer. All these are all things that are true against the new England Patriots. This team scored 13 points on offense, 13 against the Baltimore Ravens last week before they were forced to abandon all hope and throw it and throw it and throw it. They had 14 points through three quarters. What is it that we are so wild about other than the ability to get yards after catch? So again, if you want to adjust Miami from a team that was in, say, maybe the what the top of the middle third to a team that's firmly in the top third, go for it. I'm with you on that. I moved Miami up four spots in my power ratings this week. However, that being said Tua Tungavailoa right now is getting a lot of love and Tua Tungavailoa is third in the NFL tied for third, actually in yards per attempt while being 19th in average depth of target. So what we're seeing is that it is all schemed up right now for the Miami Dolphins. And a lot of what they did in the fourth quarter against the Baltimore Ravens was once Baltimore was down both of its starting cornerbacks. They had some coverage busts with the rookie Kyle Hamilton in there at the back. Tyreek Hill was running wide open on one of those plays. Good. I hope Tua hits those throws. That being said, you just brought up the injury report, Matt. That's why I don't want anything to do with this at this point uh, with Buffalo. I think what you see with them being at five and a half is a pretty good reflection of the injury report because this got out as far as six and a half at one point. So I'll pass on this thing at the moment. And I also want to just say one more time, 
we need to see it more than one quarter with Miami. There are about 13 quarterbacks in the NFL that have a completion percentage over expectation that is positive. Tua Tagovailoa is one of them um, in in the NFL. Better than Aaron Rodgers, Matthew Stafford, Lamar Jackson, uh, better than Jalen Hurts. As far as completion percentage over expectation, I think there's a lot of negative connotation around Tua that isn't necessarily backed up by statistics. There's a scheme that is very that is very deliberate, right? And I think it's dr- deliberate to take advantage of not only his skill set, but also the skill set of this team, which is get the ball in the hands of these ridiculous playmakers and let them do their thing. And I mean, that's just not a knock on Tua. That's think that's just a, a you know a, a game plan and a formulaic way of going about all of this. So I don't know. I think I'm somewhere in the middle with all this for me though. And Steven, I'm curious as to your thoughts, but look, this is an injury. This is an injury play for me. If, if, if they are, if the bills are going to be down multiple starters in the secondary, I'm going to play the dolphins in this game because you are not going to be able to cover Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle and Mike Gesicki and all these guys with a whole bunch of rookies and backups. Like, it's just not going to happen. If Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer, the two, the best tandem safety, the best safety tandem in the NFL can't play, which by the way, they were, again, they were DMPs on Thursday. Like this is a massive, massive, massive development here from an injury standpoint. And so it would be the, the no more further analysis for me than the fact that I'll take Tua and those two receivers versus a whole bunch of backups every single day of the week. Yeah, you know, the other point I'll add in here is you guys talked about the Dolphins through the first three quarters and what their offense has done. Well, I would also like to add that their defense has been pitiful through the first three quarters, the first two weeks. They are 31st in EPA per play, and they are also bottom five in success rate in the first three quarters. So this this vaunted Dolphins defense is not what it was under the old coaching staff to start games and for the majority of games. And they've been in catch up mode last week and you know they they did what they had to do, I guess, against uh against New England in week one. But the most popular bet I've heard this week is the over in this game for all the reasons you guys have talked about. The decimated secondary for Buffalo, Buffalo obviously being an elite offense. It's just I don't have a bet in this game, but I think it's interesting that the opening line in the summer was Buffalo minus three and a half. The look ahead was minus four and a half. We're at five and a half now. Uh, So numerically, if you are adjusting for Miami and bumping them up, then I guess you're bumping up Buffalo even more to get to this spread. The other thing I guess I'll add here, um, from an offensive standpoint, Josh Allen and, and Steph Diggs have been just absolutely fantastic, right? I mean, like the connection has just been ridiculous Xavier Howard did practice on uh did practice on Thursday looks like he's going to be good to go for this Miami Dolphins team uh Howard has shadowed Steph Diggs three times in their career not a complete shutdown but like no none of those like hey Steph Diggs went nuclear games right like so seven for 76 four for 60 and then five for 40 in the three games that Xavier Howard has shadowed Steph Diggs and so you would assume a shadow situation here yet again. Diggs is going to get his. None of those games were, you know, he got completely erased or anything like that, but certainly at least limited from going absolutely bonkers, which I think from a total standpoint, Adam, at least does stand out to for me because, look, once we start talking 53 points needed to get to an over, 
you're going to need those dudes to have those type of games. And, you know, again, if Howard is 100 percent and is in shadow coverage, which we can assume here maybe does limit what we're going to get out of Steph Diggs in this game. Yeah, if you were to get me to play one thing in this game, even at 52 and a half, I'm playing under uh, in large part because uh, the Miami Dolphins, again, let's go back and look at this through seven quarters of football. That offense had a grand total of 27 points. And I saw Mm. what happened in the fourth quarter. And again, I will repeat, I adjusted my power ratings. I moved them up four spots. Um, I don't know that when you say the negative connotation on Tua is supported by statistics, I agree entirely. But I think maybe what I can say is that it goes too far. I I think Mm. it goes too far in going back to rookie Tua and him not able to do much of anything. Is he maybe a middle of the pack quarterback now? Yeah, I, I, I can go with that. Um, but I think we have, he's the new uh, Jimmy Garoppolo high yards per attempt, very low air yards. Yeah. I brought that up. I brought that up a moment ago. And and I think what we haven't talked enough about is the Buffalo offense overall, right? The the Buffalo offense is ripping people right now. What was the concern about Josh Allen when he came into the league that, that he wasn't going to be accurate despite the big arm, right? He's completing 75% of his passes in the first two weeks. Granted, Tennessee ain't world beaters, but we thought the Rams were. We thought the Rams were going to be a very good defense coming into the year, and they've been healthy, so it's not one of those teams that we can look at and dismiss entirely. Again, I'm not looking to get too much into tiny little sample sizes here with two games thus far, but I do think Buffalo is clearly the best team in the NFL, and I do think even if Xavier Howard can keep Stephon Diggs down a little bit, that if Gabe Davis can go, you have seen a lot of secondary options be available here for the Buffalo Bills. I'm not trying to get you to bet Buffalo. It's a big number on the road, but I'm with you, Matt, that under would be where I'd be looking. Yeah, and if Gabe Davis does go, I mean, remember Byron Jones, this sec- the, at, at some point in the season, this this secondary for Miami is going to be ridiculous because once you get Byron Jones back out there, you have a tandem of Byron Jones and Xavier Howard. It's going to be ridiculous, but Byron Jones is on IR right now. So they're running out kind of like they hadn't even figured out who they really want to be that second corner yet. They've run a couple of different guys out. So it's going to be a plus matchup for Gabe Davis, no matter what. And so whatever his prop numbers come out at, might even be a little bit muted because of him missing last week and the injury designation. So might be a look there for you as well, just from a prop standpoint, because Gabe Davis should get the better of the matchups and should get a ton of targets in this one. Detroit Lions at the Minnesota Vikings as we sit right now. Six points in favor of the Vikings at home over the Lions, a total of 52 and a half. As we look at this one, Stephen, it is no Aiden Hutchinson practicing on Wednesday or Thursday for the Lions. Also, no starting offensive guard Jonah Jackson out there on Wednesday or Thursday for this team. Frank Frank Ragnow, who is one of their, you know, the very best offensive linemen in all the NFL, who's been battling injuries all here at the beginning of the season, was limited at practice for this Lions team. This is one of those weird situations where I look at this and as high as the total is, if there is no Aiden Hutchinson to be messing with Kirk Cousins, I think I would play an over even at 52 and a half because what do we know about both of these teams? We've got pretty good offenses and pretty piss poor defenses. And if there's no Aiden Hutchinson to even somewhat rattle the cage of Kirk Cousins in this thing, 
this thing could play into the 30s with both of these teams. We could be looking at 70 points scored in this game, just back and forth, up and down the field on this. I won't know part of either of the side because I do think this thing has shootout potential written all over it. And so if anything, it's an overlook for me and certainly an in-game overlook. If maybe the first couple of drives just are start out a little bit weird and this thing drops down into the 40s or something or whatever, then that's definitely an in-game look for me from an over standpoint, but nothing in the account as we sit right now. I bet this plus seven on Monday, I was shocked that it was still on seven after how good the Lions offense has looked the first couple of weeks and especially after the Vikings, you know, laid an egg in prime time in front of the entire country. Obviously, that number's come back down to six now. That's still an extra point from the opening line in the summer when people already had respect and optimism for the Lions coming into the season. Uh, I agree with you on your overlook. I think it's a good angle. Um, I'm I'm just... I want to be bullish on Dan Campbell, man. The guy, the guy just keeps covering spreads, man. Like every time I try and fade him, I faded him week one. He came back. His team fought hard and covered a spread week two. He comes out uh, closed as a dog, but still won the game. And, you know, we kept trying to shoot holes in this offensive line for being banged up. But they keep getting chunk plays. It's very confusing to me, guys. I got to admit, because if you look at the the run block win rates and the pass block win rates, 20th and 28th respectively, but they are getting chunk explosive plays. Second, 14th, and second in EPA, dropback EPA, and rush EPA. Then if you flip over to success rate, 24th, 26th, and 11th in success rate, dropback success rate, and rush success rate. For those that aren't familiar with those stats, what that tells me is that they are getting explosive plays but they aren't moving the ball consistently to hit those success rate numbers. So do you want to gamble with that? Do you want to gamble with an inconsistent but explosive offense, kind of similar to what we saw with the Bengals at times last year? This They, they kind of did this with these numbers last year. And the Vikings secondary in the defense overall has not been good. 25th and 24th in pass rush and run stop win rates albeit against Green Bay and Philadelphia, pretty strong offensive lines. But this is a below-average secondary. I think Amon Ross St. Brown can have his way with this secondary. I just, I'm just i very confused by this Lions team, but they cover spreads. They play damn hard, and if you're giving me six-plus points, I'm going to take it. Adam, I can get, you know, I can get why you would either play dog or pass here, and I think that's, if I was looking at this, it'd probably be dog or pass, but... I think there's so much variance in this game. And so, so and if I believe that it's going to play as high scoring as it is, I just can't play a side because the Vikings, you know, could very easily win this thing by, by 14 points. If I believe it's going to play into the thirties, just as well as the lions could get a backdoor cover, you know, on a, on a meaningless touchdown at the end that would, that would ruin your bet if you played on the Viking side of things. So for me, just, very, very hard to to handicap from that perspective, other than I feel there is going to be a ton of points in this game, and especially if they decide to play it super safe with Aiden Hutchinson and not roll him out there after DNPing both Wednesday and Thursday, then I think this could be just a scoring fest all over the place. So I think how you view this game, Matt, comes down to whether you believe Minnesota is going to have a lead for any significant portion mm-hmm of the game because I can point to a few things with this Minnesota offense thus far that remain true from last year. If they have a lead, they want to run the ball. That's not unique to Minnesota. 
but they're going to deflate the football if they have a big lead. Thus far, through two games of the Kevin O'Connell offense, what we've seen in terms of pace is that Minnesota is a middle-of-the-pack team. What we've seen is that if the game is within six points, they are the slowest team in the league. So if you think they're going to be a team that is well ahead, I think they're already telling you we want to be able to take the air out of the football. The only reason that the pace has gotten as high as it is to middle of the pack for the Minnesota Vikings is because they were trailing Philadelphia for Mm. so much of that game. On Monday night, man, I know BTS is the most popular boy band in the world, but Mm -hmm. PTK, Primetime Kirk, man, there's just (laughs) nothing quite like Primetime Kirk, guys. If you have the opportunity to go watch Primetime Kirk, never do it because he's terrible. Uh, Kirk Cousins was not good last week for Minnesota Vikings, enough to give me some questions about this game. Uh, I understand dog or pass, where you're saying, Matt. I also think if you like the dog, you probably like the over which is not something I would normally say, right? Normally right. Uh, it's the more correlated dog under. I think this is dog over. Uh, if yeah. you like Detroit, then I think you like the fact that they're going to have the explosive plays that Steven talked about and that the defense isn't going to be able to hold up for much. So, uh, you know, if the lean is Detroit for you and you don't feel comfortable with that, then I think over is probably your place. Matt, just a quick fun fact yep. here before we move on. This is only the fifth time this century a team has scored 35-plus points in back-to-back weeks to start the season and is an underdog in week three. The previous four all won outright and scored at least 33 points. I'm not saying that's actionable betting information, but just some fun historic notes that there have been times where a surprise offensive team through the first two weeks has still been disrespected the third week and had come out and did the same exact thing offensively. Cincinnati Bengals at the New York Jets. I'm on the Bengals here. I have them. This was at four and a half. I went ahead and just played the alt to five and took the plus 105 on that. Um, Dead zone numbers. If if Cincinnati wins, I think they win the game handily. That's kind of the handicap here is, look, the problem has been in this so far, Adam, that the Cincinnati Bengals offensive line just hasn't been able to gel yet. It doesn't really matter, in my opinion, in this game. The Jets have no pass rush to speak of whatsoever. And so even if it doesn't get there, it doesn't really matter. I mean, again, Burrow's been sacked 13 times. Jets are 30th in pass rush win rate. So probably not going to be that big of a deal here. And oh, by the way, there's two of the three most pressured quarterbacks in all the NFL in this game. Burrow comes in at third, actually, shockingly. Flacco the first and so if anything the Bengals could be able to get to Flacco there and uh, disrupt his situation for for the Jets so pretty easy handicap for me Um, it's up to six now I would still play it at six once it gets to a full touchdown I can see where you want to get off of that maybe 45 45 and a half but it's not a get right spot here for Cincinnati at all as more of a just hey look the thing that has been broken for them should not come into play very often here in this game against the Jets. And with that, we know the Jets can't cover either. This seems like this has a, a real, real, real big day written, written all over it for Joe Burrow and for Jamar Chase and company. All right. So, so Stephen mentioned earlier teams that had a little bit of luck on their side, right? And mm-hmm. clearly Cincinnati had luck on its side to win as many one-score games as it did in the playoffs to get to the Super Bowl. Overall, last year, though, Cincinnati was a 4-5 and team in one-score games. They just happened to have a lot of luck at the right time down the stretch. And all that's really happened to this team is they've had that luck go against them here at the beginning of the season. I don't think we should be adjusting too much against 
Cincinnati. I think we probably should factor in that Joe Burrow having the appendectomy behind a brand new offensive line means this team has had no opportunity to get together yet. Now, that being said, Burrow having been sacked 13 times, uh, the more you listen to the smart football people, the more the smart football people talk about the fact that quarterbacks are the reason for these sacks. So Mm -hmm. if Joe Burrow is taking too much time behind a bad offensive line, that might be more signal than noise. But as you just mentioned, Matt, it's pretty much the same evaluation as the Baltimore game, right? We said the one thing that Baltimore has problem with right now is covering. Well, New England ate the team to make that a problem. That's exactly what we're talking about here with Cincinnati and the Jets. As you said, the pass rush is not going to be a problem for Joe Burrow and company. And also, if you look at the New York Jets, what is it really that you feel good about? Is it the fact that they recovered an onside kick and didn't lose by 13 last week? Right. Is that it? Because that's the only thing you're looking at with this team and saying that this should be inside of a touchdown. I make it Cincinnati minus seven. I'm right with you that if you're going to get on this thing, you're getting on Cincinnati. Steven, tell me, tell, tell me you're back in the Jets just so I can like scream at you here. No, I'm not. Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> I mean, I, I fully admit I got extremely lucky with my Jets cover last week mm-hmm. against Jacoby Brissett. I had like the luckiest week ever. I had the Jets, Cardinals, and the Dolphins <laughs> last week. I mean, I can't I can't complain about a bad bet the rest of the season. Uh so but yeah, I I just I want to sit back and see that we're getting a little more continuity mm-hmm. with this offensive line with the Bengals. Um and maybe maybe we get a better number next week against Miami because I would be interested in that. I'm not sure. Um, But yeah, just to sit back and watch here for me. This is just a a miniature teaching moment here. The lines moved to six, so it doesn't really matter. But basically, if you're backing a favorite, guys, that like if that number's sitting four and a half, five, whatever, something like that, like buying up to that next higher number to get plus money is typically a, a profitable situation for you. The games with spreads of four, four and a half, five, five and a half, have landed exactly on five or six 13 times in the last eight seasons. Right. And so it's just, those are dead numbers. We call them dead numbers for a reason. So instead of backing a team at minus five, like back them at minus five and a half at plus money. If instead of backing them at minus four and a half, back them at minus five at plus money or whatever. So like take that extra tick up or whatever and gets, get in the plus money territory. Cause again, unless you're just, really really unlucky because it just lands on one of these numbers that's only happened 13 times in eight seasons then it's just better to go it's more profitable to just take the extra the extra money on that so just that's we call that dead zone and dead money you know those dead numbers for a reason so take advantage of that when you're making those bets you're listening to the lines.com podcast network looking for the latest player props and the best betting odds from the top u.s sports books all in one place then join us right here every day this season for free picks and best bets from the sports betting experts you can trust. Check out the lines.com NFL Megapod as Matt Brown, Steven Andrus, and Adam Candy break down every game for this weekend's football slate. Join the Coast to Coast podcast crew Mondays through Fridays as Nate Weitzer and Josh Lander bring you the best player props and game lines for Major League Baseball, the NBA, and the NFL. And tune in to Beat the Closing Line twice a week as Nicole Russo, Mo Nawara, and Eli Hershkovich dive into NFL opening lines, plus special guests from the sports betting world. So subscribe, rate, and review to the Lines Podcast Network, the source you can trust to make you a better sports better. Philadelphia Eagles at the Washington Commanders, six, six and a half right now in favor of the Eagles. 47, 47 and a half is your total. If we look at this one, 
Steven, is your Eagles team here? You're wearing your Eagles shirt. I think this team is as good as we thought coming into the season. I think Jalen Hurts has been even better than I thought so far in the very short term, smallest of sample sizes. I have the Eagles in a couple of different teasers. I didn't play them the full number here, but I have them in a couple of teasers. The number actually went against me. I took the seven down to a one, but then now this has come off of the seven in favor of, of Washington here. I, I get it. I mean, if you look at just the raw stats, uh, Carson Wentz has been okay so far. So I guess that's what is getting this number off there. But Eagles defense, I think is pretty good. We know the offense is pretty good. We know that Washington's defense is not good. I think the Eagles move the ball. I think the Eagles move the ball pretty easily here. My only other play in this is I'm questioning whether I should come in on the over 47 because I think that there's garbage time to be had here by the commanders, but I do think the Eagles have a convincing win here. I tend to agree with you. I have not made a bet on this one. Mm -hmm. uh, I will tell you that our lead writer, Eli Hershkovich, disagrees with you and has bet Washington to cover this spread. You can go read that in his in his picks column on the lines.com. My observation to this game is that, by, by the way, I'm not wearing an Eagles shirt. Like, I'm not an Eagles fan. Like, how dare you, sir? I am a 49ers fan. <laughs> and it was the bane of my existence growing up in Philadelphia. I will give you that because I was not an Eagles fan. But those fans drive me nuts, although oh. they are passionate. <laughs> we love you, though. We love you, though. We love I you, though. Don't throw Mike. batteries at Steven when you see him. We love yes. you. Yes. Or, do. or if I dress up as Santa <laughs> Claus. But um, so the, my observation of the Eagles are that they might be the best team in the NFC. And they were a huge bet on team last year. We saw a lot of sharp money come in on them last year. We've seen it the first couple of weeks this year. I'm just wondering when it's getting past the point. It's already past the point of valuable to bet on the Eagles. Like with the value's gone. I'm wondering at what point do we start coming back in on the other side here? And I'm just not sure I want to do that with Carson Wentz. As, as good as their weapons and their offensive coordinator have been, uh, their defenses look bad as well. This is not the spot for me because I do have a lot of respect in this Eagles team to potentially be the Super Bowl team out of the NFC. Adam, uh, look, the one thing we know about Washington is this defense is going to give up a lot of points, a lot of yards. They've done it so far with uh, the first two games here, and it doesn't look like there's any underlying stats that would tell us that that's going to be otherwise. So, I mean, you think that the Eagles move, you think that the Eagles score. I guess the question really becomes, do you think it's just too many points here? Do you think that Washington has enough firepower to fire back on this Eagles team and maybe get this thing within a touchdown? I'll pass entirely on this game, Matt. Mm -hmm. The one thing that I'll bring up is you mentioned the Washington defense. The Washington defense is horrendous. Uh, yeah. And we know that Washington does have enough offensive talent now to make some noise late in games. Okay, all that's established. But let's look at what's happened overall with the market this week. There are only five games where totals have not moved more than a point. And this is one of the games that has actually come down three points from where it went out initially, right? We're down to 47, 47 and a half. I'm actually with you on the idea of over. However, what's slowing me down is the market, quite honestly. Uh, the market has been pretty right on Philadelphia overall. Uh, the question for me here is, do I trust what I'm looking at, which is the fact that 
I think that, you know, Philadelphia had a similar game against Detroit not all that long ago where it went up by enormous numbers and then watched Detroit come back late in the game. Uh, do we think Washington has the same potential? I think they maybe do. So uh, the only way I would get involved would be over. But uh, right now, I'm kind of trying to listen to the market a little bit more on this one. Hang back. That's probably true not only of this game, but of totals in general, because there have been so many with big moves this week. New Orleans Saints at the Carolina Panthers. I know one of us has a bet on this one. Not I. Uh, this is one of the first games I crossed off of the week. Listen, I'll, I look at the card every single week. I try to go in and just scratch off games right off the bat where I know that there's going to be so many differing opinions going through my head that I don't want to confuse myself and I just move on. Saints and Carolina is exactly that for me. As we sit right now, Saints two, two and a half Road favorites looking at a total somewhere between 40 and a half and 41 in this one. Jameis Winston was back at practice. Alvin Kamara was back at practice as well for the Saints. So they're at least looking up from them from that standpoint. They say Christian McCaffrey, despite the fact that he's been limited, it's basically just maintenance type stuff for him. He is going to play as well for this Panther squad. This is a big tee up for you here, Stephen, because I know you did in fact put a play on this game of all games in your account. Do tell. Yeah, I don't feel great about it at this point. I'm going to be honest with you. I bet Panthers plus three on Monday. The market has come in on my side down to plus two, plus two and a half, depending on where you shop. But I'm going to be honest with you. I know Adam's on the other side of this game. And depending how strong his take is, I might be buying out of this and switching mm. to his side because I'm I'm not sure I'm as confident as I was on Monday here just playing the key number of three. Uh, the good for the Panthers is that in week two, they – outgained their opponent 5.1 to 3.8 yards per play. They gave up a couple of 50-plus yard field goals in the second half and somehow lost the game. Week one, 5.2 to 4.8. Again, one yards per play against the Browns. Gave up a 58-yard field goal at the gun and lost by two. So they've been pretty unlucky to be winless at this point. And their defense has been number three in run-stop win rate. That included a game against a strong Cleveland offensive line. They're 10th in EPA allowed. They're fourth in success rate allowed. And they've been doing it with a bottom six blitz rate. So they've been they've been very strong defensively and sound playing coverage, dropping coverage, only rushing four. On the bad column, Baker Mayfield is 26th and 31st in dropback EPA and success rate. They are top two, though, in rush EPA and success rate. The running game has been good. But Christian McCaffrey got added to the injury report in the middle of the week. Went from fine to added to the injury report. And the Saints are a very strong defense. They're, again, top 10 in run-stop win rate after being elite stopping the run last year. So, I, Adam, the floor is yours, man. I might be <laughs> flipping here. Yeah, Adam, I mean, look, I, I, I think here, if you look at this, I mean, I, I think there's been glimpses for this Saints team multiple times throughout the course of the, of the short season so far. It's just haven't really quite put it all together yet, but Hey, look, I mean, you know, you're, you got some production out of your rookie last week. If he doesn't fall down, you probably, you, you definitely cover if, if not win the game against the bucks. And so th there's, I think there has been at least some positives here for the saints. I think we can go back to the new Orleans saints defense and start and stop the evaluation pretty much right there. This team last week, through three periods, had given up three points to Tampa Bay. I don't really care 
which receivers were available for Tampa, it's still something to hold that team to three points because they marched the ball up and down the field did Tampa against the Dallas Cowboys. They just didn't finish drives. So we know that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers can move the ball. Mm -hmm. Uh, And when did things change in that game? They changed immediately when Marshawn Lattimore got ejected. That's when things started to turn around the other direction against the New Orleans Saints. So what do you have? You have an elite defense against Baker Mayfield. And I am going to have to eat a little bit of crow. I came in saying I thought Baker Mayfield could at least be close to an average quarterback in a new situation. And he has been awful. Absolutely awful. Completing below 50% of his passes last week against the Giants defense that scares absolutely nobody. They didn't have their top two pass rushers. They were missing Leonard Williams in the middle for a lot of that game. And still the Carolina offense couldn't do anything. So my evaluation of this game comes almost entirely down to one unit versus the other New Orleans defense against the Carolina offense. Uh, I have New Orleans minus two and a half. It might be the play that I feel the most confident about uh, overall this week. Look, what happened with New Orleans in game one against Atlanta? We saw a team that frankly early on in that game looked discombobulated. They were able to pull things together later in the game. Now, Atlanta's offense might be a little better than we thought with the way they came back against the Rams, with the way they put up points early against New Orleans. On the other side of that, Tempe's defense looks damn good uh, thus far through the early part of the season. So I'm not going to get on Jameis too much for being bad Jameis and throwing the ball to the other team because Carolina doesn't have the horses to make him look bad. Don't want to spend a ton of time here. Jags at the Chargers. As we sit right now, it is seven in favor of the Chargers over the Jacksonville Jaguars. 47 is your total. Guys, I, I without knowing what's going on with the Chargers, this is just a stay away for me. I mean, like, it's there's what can you do here when you don't know if Keenan Allen, Justin Herbert, JC Jackson, I mean, Corey Lindsley has been sitting out practice for the Chargers as well. I, I mean, it's just... I know so little about this game as we are recording this on a Friday morning that it's not worth me even giving any sort of any sort of you know time to this whatsoever. If I don't know who's playing quarterback, if I don't know if he's going to have his best receiver, if I don't know if the best corner for the team's going to play or not, what can I really say here? Adam, I don't know if you have a thought on Chargers Jags, but for me it's just a complete and utter stay away until we get some sort of clarity. The best I could do to give you a thought is to tell you what I made the game, assuming Justin Herbert would play and look mm-hmm. anything like Justin Herbert. I'd make it nine and a half uh, in favor of the LA chargers. Uh, that being said, you can't, you don't have that option. Yeah. You have no idea what Justin Herbert looks like. That's why I think the market has chosen seven here because I think you're basically riding it right in the middle. If you think Justin Herbert is worth five, five and a half points to the spread, and that's probably being a little conservative, mm-hmm. then you look at seven and say that's right in the middle of it. And then you factor in the rest of the injuries. Maybe that knocks it down another half a point. So overall, I'll pass. Wait, wait to see on Justin Herbert. The only way you're playing this game is if you really believe in what you've seen out of the Jags offense the first two weeks and you want to grab that speculative extra couple points points thinking that maybe Justin Herbert yeah. isn't full strength. Yeah, it, it, it's a dog or pass situation for me just overall in general, strictly because look, a rib injury, even if he gives it a go, right? And even if he gets injected with the good stuff, it's going to start wearing off in the second half. I mean, if he takes one big hit in the rib, I don't know, man, just it's just so many moving, moving parts and variables here, Stephen. I don't know if you have a, 
a solid take on this one, but for me, just a a really, really unfortunate situation because I would have liked to have seen what a full-strength Chargers team looked like versus this Jags team to see if the Jags are actually any good at all, if this has just been kind of smoke and mirrors with this team, but we're not going to get that no matter what. Or he gets injected with the good stuff and the doctor punctures his lung like he did with Tyron oh, Taylor. Oh, Just saying. Oh, you <laughs> no, you total stay away from me. This yeah. line is clearly straddling in the realm of not sure what's going on, who's going to play. Um, so just to sit back and watch and a, a good opportunity to see if Trevor Lawrence and Doug Peterson can do it again against a, uh, against a much better defense here in, in the chargers. So a, a good opportunity here for, for a team that we were bullish on coming into the season with a new coaching staff to just sit back and observe and see what they can do against a strong team. Green Bay Packers at the Tampa Bay Bucks. As we sit right now, the Bucks are one to one and a half point favorites. There is a couple of pickums out there in the market as well. 41 and a half to 42 is your total. Guys, just a walking wounded situation for the Bucks. And if they aren't walking wounded, then they're suspended. I don't know who in the hell Tom Brady's going to throw to in this game. But guess what? The injury report came out yesterday for the Packers. And now I don't know who the hell Aaron Rodgers is going to throw to in this game either. Neither team has any receivers at all. It's going to be the game of who in the hell just caught that pass like over and over again. I loved my Packers position earlier in the week. I knew that the suspension was going to get upheld for Mike Evans. I knew Chris Godwin wasn't going to play. I knew Julio Jones injury history, so he likely wasn't going to go. I thought it was a fantastic spot to get on the Packers to plus eight and get them up in a teaser leg, which I did. And I do have in the account. I don't love it near as much anymore when his top four receivers all don't practice on Thursday. Alan Lazard gets downgraded for the Packers as well. So I don't know, man. I I still think it's a low-scoring game, so having the Packers at eight I think is still good for me in all of this, but... Adam, when I look at this, I think if I knew if I if I knew now what I knew, I mean, if I knew then what I know now, I would have just passed on this because there's just literally the infinite, infinite, infinite variables in this. It seems like it's going to be like 1930s football with both teams just lining up and running at each other for 60 straight minutes because there's nobody to throw the ball to. So. Uh, not in love with that Packers leg like I thought I was going to be. Interestingly, uh, 1930s football, that was Tom Brady's first year, and here he is in 2022, <laughs> uh, still getting the job done. Uh, look, I, I have bet Tampa each of the first two weeks. I have won yeah. with Tampa each of the first two weeks. I want to bet Tampa again in this spot. Uh, I need to see that, that Tom Brady is going to have somebody to throw the ball to before I get that bet yeah. down. If I'm going to be on any side, I'm going to be on Tampa. I'm just waiting for a final injury report because of this. I told you earlier, yeah. the Tampa Bay defense, to me, looks extremely real. They have the best pro football focus, co focus coverage grade in the league through two games. That's not a mirage. We know who Jamel Dean and Carlton Davis are. We know what this team looks like when they have Vita Vea and Akeem Hicks up front. That, of course, is a, a major question as to you know when they'll have those two guys together. Now, all of that said, we thought the Green Bay defense was going to be elite as well. Not yet. It hasn't really shown itself thus far because I, I, Chicago didn't make them do anything, right? Like, yeah. We have no idea if the Green Bay defense is going to be what we thought, but we do know PFF grade, they're 24th through the first two weeks of the season. So if you have the team 
that has the best coverage grade in the league against Aaron Rodgers and a group of receivers where we have no idea who's healthy and they weren't good in the first place. And by the way, an Aaron Rodgers who has been increasingly bad against pressure over the last three years, the numbers have gotten pretty rough on Aaron Rodgers when he doesn't have time to throw. I think my evaluation with this is not all that dissimilar to New Orleans and Carolina, where I look at the Tampa Bay defense and say, what is it that Green Bay is going to be able to get done against them? So I'm waiting on the injury report. If I'm anywhere, I'm on Tampa for a third straight week. Steven, um, all I can say is overs on Leonard Fournette touches, overs on Aaron Aaron Jones touches, over on AJ Dillon touches. Like there's going this there's gonna be a lot of running in this game for sure. Tampa had to go sign friggin' Cole Beasley off the streets to come in and play. I mean, like it's it's a bad scenario for both of these teams. Um if anything, maybe an under, even with a, even with a 42, as low as a 42, maybe even an underlook for me or something. Again, I'll, I'll see the final injury report whenever it comes out, but there's, there's a, there's a lot to dislike about this game. Yeah. When you have to get Cole Beasley to turn off Fox news, to come play with Scotty <laughs> Miller and Brashad Perryman, it's not a great situation here for the passing game and Tom Brady with an already depleted interior offensive line. So I think the one matchup I have the most confidence in here, believe it or not, is the Packers running game in this. And that's why I bet it early at green Bay plus three. Um, you can flip a coin here at this point. I think, you know, it's, that's not going to help anybody. There's no threes left. I, Eli does like Tampa on the money line here. He rarely bets favorites, but he went and bet a minus 115. Again, you can go find that in his column on the lines.com. But in terms of the running game for the Packers, they're facing a Tampa Bay. You mentioned the secondary, Adam. I agree with you. The coverage has been great. The secondary has been awesome. They've been a little bit vulnerable up front against the run. 19th and 22nd in, in win rates against the run. 30th in rush D success rate. That's tied with the Bears through two weeks who just got gashed by Green Bay in the run game. I think that could be the Achilles heel in this one for Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon to exploit Green Bay top 10 in rush EPA and success rate. So with Akeem Hicks out up front for this Tampa front seven, you know, I think that might be the one matchup I want to side with in this game that I feel like there is an advantage where everything else is just kind of flip a coin. Los Angeles Rams at the Arizona Cardinals. I wish, and I will be monitoring this because there is a three available right wow, now at points really? bet in favor of, in favor of, the Rams. So again, this is as of recording this three and a half everywhere else. Rest of country four, 48 and a half is your total. I have been holding out hopes of praying that this, that I can find a three, that a three pops here for me, a complete overreaction to a circus comeback by the Cardinals and a ho-hum win by the Rams power ratings. wise, the Rams are 10 spots ahead of the Cardinals for me in this thing. And the fact that this has fallen to the point that it has and that there is a three in the market right now at minus 115, you're not even paying all that much juice. I would be unloading the clip on the Rams at that number. Um, Steven, I know you're already on the Rams at three and a half. I think the three is just a gorgeous number. If they're going to, if they're, if this is going to toggle back and forth by the time you watch this, just kind of monitor what the market is doing 
If a three, if you're going to get a three in this thing, I think this is like one of the best bets of the week, if not the best bet of the week. This was a complete overreaction to all of the highlights on SportsCenter of Kyler Murray running around like we're playing friggin' Madden and coming around with this miracle comeback. This, this Cardinals team is not good. Yeah, I just checked. I, I just cashed out my uh, Rams minus three and a half. And as soon as we're wrapped, I think I'm jumping in the car and heading over the bridge in Indiana to bet Rams minus three. Man, I can't. What is going on here? Like through the first three, through three quarters, the first two weeks, Kyler Murray is 27th and 24th in drop back EPA and success rate. Slightly worse than Mitch going to have my money Trubisky through the two weeks and EPA and CPOE composite. Not good as well. Negative CPOE. That's completion percentage over expectation for those uninitiated. So he is not completing passes at the rate he is supposed to be. Top six in rush EPA and success rate for this Cardinals offense. But James Conner is now on the injury report. So now they're going to be trotting out there. Eno Benjamin and, and Daryl Williams. So not great if, if Conner can't go. And even if he does play, he's going to be compromised. On the flip side here, you have a Cardinals defense that is number one in blitz rate with a pressure rate that is 13% lower than their blitz rate. The blitz hasn't even been effective. And the Cardinals 50% blitz rate through two weeks would have been number one last year by 10%. Like they know they have absolutely nothing on the back end. They cannot play coverage. And now they're facing Matthew Stafford, who was top five in the NFL last year in completion percentage against the Blitz. I, this number is wacky. Yeah. I don't get it. Like I hate going against the market. I don't get it. But in this case, I feel very strongly about it. Adam, I saw you light up when I said that there was a three available as well at just 115. Again, like the move from three to three and a half is actually worth it. It's actually like minus 130, right? And so if you're if you can get a, a three at 115, that is a in my opinion, just a fantastic number here on a game that, in my opinion, should be closer to six. So like I don't I don't know what the hell's going on. I don't know what I'm missing here, but boy, this that would I would love is it too late for us to catch a flight to Arizona and go make this bet at points bet? I mean, like, seriously, this is crazy. You know, this is crazy for me, Matt, because I, I actually make this game strictly by power ratings. I'm pretty close to where the spread is at three and a half. Now, that being said, I'm a little lower on the Rams just because of the Matthew Stafford maintenance situation. And I think a truly good team does not allow Atlanta to do what it did in the fourth quarter. I mean, frankly, if Jalen Ramsey doesn't make a hero play in the end zone against Brian Edwards, we might be talking about Atlanta coming back from 28 to three, which would be hilarious and also would make us have a lot of questions about the Los Angeles Rams. Now, my question to you, Matt, comes to this because I did light up when I heard that three. Mm. You talked about the uh, three minus 115. Right now in Vegas, it's painted three and a half across the board. We never advocate buying points, right? It's generally not a strong strategy. Is this the one spot where if it doesn't get under the three and a half, if it holds, would you consider buying it at, say, minus 120? Yeah, I mean, at 120, I would. I mean, like I said, I mean, anything better than 130 is actually a positive move for you, right? I mean, what you... If we're if we're factoring it, this is getting too math and nerd and whatever. But if if we did the fifty four point fifty two point four percent for the break even, and then you factor in the push percentages or whatever, it comes out to about minus one thirty. The move off of a three, whether that's a two and a half or a three and a half. And so, I mean, if you can get if you can buy it at one twenty, then yeah, I mean, it's a it's a positive move, right? I mean, it's a it's 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 a plus EV move for sure. And so, I, I just. 
it, it's a shocker to me. I, I actually have the Rams as a much better team than, than the Cardinals. And I, they needed the Falcons needed a blocked punt for a touchdown. And then they got a fumble and then they get got two extra points on a meaningless safety at the end of the game. Otherwise, the Rams cover the spread. So they, yeah, they do. And I don't the, I don't. But the turnovers it. can't be taken out of the equation when it comes to the Rams. And a lot of that has to do with Stafford throwing the ball to the other teams. So, again, mm-hmm. I, I'm not going to. But not that. last week. Not last week. That wasn't the reason. I mean, it was it was a fumble by Cooper Cup, I believe. It was a special teams gaffe and a meaningless two points at the end. So I agree with you long term, but I just think this matchup is so good for the Rams. We've seen it a few times in the past as well with a Cardinals roster that is nowhere near as good as it was the past couple of years. I, I, I'm just, I'm all over this for the Rams. Just, like again, I'm, just, I've been praying all week that this thing gets to a flat three. Maybe it will. Maybe it won't. Just, if there's an opportunity to buy it at a, at a price that makes sense, I might do that. But it's uh, it's interesting. I think this is a pretty big. I think this is a pretty big. Just mismatch. to finish, I mean, to your d- point, d- Adam d- Stafford d- did have two. D- picks I was last just going to say, like, don't come back at me and say that it wasn't about Stafford throwing <laughs> the ball away. He threw another In another fairness. two interceptions. So uh, yeah, yes, one not his fault, but yes, he, he did throw two picks last week in that one. Uh, All right, Atlanta Falcons at the Seattle Seahawks. This is one point in favor of the Seahawks. You guys were able to get two. I think, Adam, you got two. I'm jealous. I missed it. I think that they're, I I think it's Falcons all day long here. They're power ranked higher. I'm getting points. I don't care about the home field advantage type situation. I think that they're a better squad. You were able to take them up. But you don't want to play the Texans in the same situation, but I digress. Go on. No, no, no. I think the Seattle Seahawks, according to my power rankings, like I I think Seattle Seahawks are the worst team in the NFL. So, I mean, I agree. So it's just, you know, I missed the boat. I didn't able, I'm not able to get up to eight. I'm glad you did. Um, I'm sure you're just going to say, yeah, they're just a better team. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, I jumped it early, right? And, you know, yeah. you and I both have a significant, significant investment in the Sunday night game uh, in San Francisco. And uh, my biggest teaser liability is tied to Atlanta plus eight uh, with San Francisco. So, yeah, the uh, I don't need to tell you much more about Atlanta, right? Uh, yes, uh, Steven is absolutely right. You get a block punt for a touchdown. It's a fluky score. Uh, that being said, the Atlanta Falcons are about two plays away from being 2-0 and right now. And that's against mm-hmm. New Orleans and the Rams, not exactly the cream puffs of the league. And that's with Kyle Pitts doing absolutely nothing and Marcus Mariota still looking a whole lot like Marcus Mariota. So yeah, they've had some fluky variance things go their way to make them close in those games. That being said, the Atlanta Falcons have covered twice already, and that's all I need them to do. And right here, getting yep. them plus eight against a Seattle team that is not even hot garbage. They they are lukewarm garbage, right? Like, like at least hot is at least interesting. They're lukewarm garbage. They're terrible all the way around. <laughs> yeah, Stephen, yeah. nothing more to add to that. That's a very that's a very good explanation for this game. Yeah, I think I think any plus money on the money line for the Falcons is a good bet here because I think we're all agreed they're the better team. Uh, The Seattle offense, just for perspective, they're not even interested in running plays like they've run 48 plays the last two games when they were last in the league a year ago, running 56 plays per game. And they're 28th in pace through the first two weeks. It's like they're just, you know, 
doing their 1970s offense, walking through it, running through the motions, not moving the ball and calling it a day. It's like they won their Super Bowl week one against Russell Wilson and, and they're good. So uh, below five yards per play, which would have ranked bottom six a year ago. Wrong team's favorite here. Guys, we are all on the Niners, but we will have a full Sunday night breakdown of that game over on the YouTube channel, as well as the Monday night game in which we will have a full standalone video for Monday night football as well. So please tune in and watch those as well. Good luck here in week three of the NFL for Steven, for Adam. I'm Matt. Talk to you guys next week.